0: Have you ever felt trapped, stuck in your life? Have you felt as if you were not living a life that you were intended to live and that you wanted to change this instantly, in that instant, a radical transformation? Well, if you're like me, you've encountered these periods of time in your life. And you know that sometimes the catalyst is so strong that waiting to do the work of talk therapy or something that's a little more protracted just isn't going to cut it, that you need something that's going to cut through you in that moment? Well, I've come across the practice of alchemy, and in doing so, I learned that alchemical treatments, that is, treatments on the body uh, using either acupressure or acupuncture techniques deriving from Chinese medicine principles and Taoist principles in particular, have the ability to open up channels, open up uh, physical blocks in your body that can allow you to transform the way you approach life very, very rapidly. And today I am very excited to have on the soul pod our guest, Lita Herman. Lita is an acupressurist who is identifies as an alchemical healer. She is a magician of sorts where she has woven the works of ancient Chinese and Taoist principles and teachings into a cohesive treatment strategy so that when people show up on her doorstep with all different types of ailments, anything from suicidal ideation all the way to chronic pain, um, it's Lita's job to try to understand the source of that issue. And the way she does this is by assessing the individual using these Chinese and Taoist principles of alchemy to uh, apply techniques that will allow energy to be untrapped from the body and to allow the person to feel more unified and more connected to their essence. And that's exactly what we're trying to do here on the SoulPod. Um, the SoulPod is focused on giving people tools and insights to have the, for you to have the ability to transform your life today. And so this is why I'm extremely excited to have Lita on the podcast. I, of course, am your host, Gary Lewis. I am on a constant journey myself to try to connect with my essence, my true authentic self, uh, and to try to clear up and clear away a lot of the conditioning that I've accumulated over my lifetime that might be covering up who I truly am. And so I'm constantly seeking out healers, uh, thought leaders, people in different spaces, who holds keys to help me understand how to better access who I truly am. I'm extremely excited to have Lita on the podcast today. The one thing Lita and I did not talk about in the podcast that I do want to plug here in the intro is Lita has an amazing um, podcast herself. And we are actually going to link to that podcast uh, in the show notes. And so in addition to all her healing at the clinic that she does, all the learning uh, that she provides through courses, uh, and books. She also, her and her partner Jay, uh, have an amazing podcast that everybody should listen to. So I look forward to presenting this episode to you, and I hope you get as much out of it as I did. Lita All Herman, right. welcome to the Soul Pod.
1: Thank you, thank you so much.
0: So it's uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, when I first conceived of the Soul Pod. I was thinking of guests who would be really uh, unique and share really, really interesting insights that the everyday person might not, you know, might not be aware that these types of modalities exist. Um, So that was one component to why I wanted to have you as a guest. And then the other component was that, you know, I lived in Asheville with, as you know, with my ex-girlfriend, Alyssa Barba, who remains one of my closest friends to this day. And Asheville a magical place as you're aware of. And yes. uh, it's in the, for those who don't know, it's in the mountains of North Carolina. Um, it's a beautiful location. There are tons of different healers in that, that live in Asheville and that practice in Asheville. Um, and one of the more well-known classical Chinese medicine schools in the world really is in Asheville. And uh, Master Jeffrey Yuan, the 88th House priest has a very strong affinity and, and r- relationship to uh, DT, which is uh, Taoist traditions, is the name of the school. And uh, Lita studied very closely with with Master Jeffrey UN. And so when I would be around all of Alyssa's friends at school, or we you know we go to different events, um, I heard rumbles of your name in, in different <laughs> halls, in different places, yes, and people yes. would talked about um, the different experiences they had with with treatments with you. And many people were talking about how when they get out of school they were hoping they could learn with you and hoping they could kind of be mentored by you. Um, And my ex-girlfriend Alyssa was very fortunate in the fact that you guys found a nice match there and you were able to align and she was able to to work with you for a period of time up in your clinic in uh, Northampton, Massachusetts. Um, And so, so this is why I'm excited to have you on the, on the podcast. I think that the work you do is extremely important work Um, to me when I think of I heard the word alchemy, I've, you know, obviously I've read the book, The Alchemist from Paulo Coelho, who's, I'm a Portuguese person and he's a Brazilian author. And so I oh, first wow. was learning Portuguese and I read the book in Portuguese actually. Um, and it's a beautiful story and, and the whole idea of, of an alchemist or alchemy is, is uh, and you talk about this in your recently released book, is um, rapid evolution of, of of the human being, right? Or, or I think you call it radical Transformation, right? Yes. And um, I just love this idea. To me, um, thinking about human beings and sort of what our potential is, and any success that I've had in my life or uh, any well being that I've kind of been able to curate and cultivate, all derives from this idea that I can radically transform in any moment. Um, I've always said this to everybody around me whenever I've been asked for advice about kind of how to help someone change a situation. Or become unstuck for me it all it begins with the, the perception the idea that the universe holds me in abundance and that I have the ability to transform in any given moment and that's that's what alchemy sounds like to me and it that's what is. alchemy looks like to me um so I want you to talk about first um and hopefully I've characterized that correctly so it's fantastic is an, okay <laughs> is that an accurate reading of what of what alchemy is
1: absolutely I mean that okay. is Yeah. In fact, the word transformation sometimes seems too slight and we might go with something like um, transmutation Mm -hmm. or, you know, something transconfiguration. I mean, something that is even because sometimes transformation can be very slow. So I like radical transformation, like you said, because it's like I'm impatient as (laughs) fundamentally I want I want to move faster than like eons.
0: yeah no, i'm in the same boat uh, yeah I feel like you know uh, time is a ticking here, and <laughs> i've I've been ready, although in the book I should mention time is a ticking, but in reality, the Al- true alchemist thinks that we can live for hundreds of years and and this is just Ac- one lifetime, and this yes. is the curriculum that we're doing in this lifetime, but it could actually right. uh in theory we're doing this all the time, and so there's no real yeah. rush exactly but, um and but 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 radical transformation sounds appealing to me it really uh, is. So can you just talk about, I love how you in the book. um, And so let me just talk about the book real quick. So the -hmm. book you recently released a few months ago um, is called Through the Mystery Gate. And we're going to provide a link to this in the show notes. Um, And it's, it's, the subtitle is A Taoist Alchemy Self-Discovery Journey. And in the book, you kind of introduce what alchemy is. You introduce your relationship to alchemy, how you sort of became, how you fell into being an alchemical healer. Mm-hmm. And then you talk about the steps in which one can uh, theorize how they can become uh, somebody who's, who's on the path to alchemy. And yes. then you get into sort of a more um, more of the protocol, more of the process of what, of what that process looks like, what that radical transformation looks like. Exactly. But you start with your story. And I love that. So um, <laughs> can you give a little description about what your background was? Like, for example, were you always... Did you grow up thinking, I need to be an alchemical healer uh, at some point? No. <laughs> yeah.
1: No. In fact, it's funny. I, I don't know if I wrote this in the story, at a, but I, at the age of 10, I thought, maybe I'll be a doctor. And then I thought, no, I don't I don't really want to see blood and guts. And so I, I kind of went a different direction. And I think I was kind of lost in a way. I, I didn't know what my direction was. I was. I was good at many things. And so I could really have done anything and i ended up in computers and out in the silicon valley in the heyday of everything going you know crazy out there and had a great job everything was going fine but i was i wasn't fulfilled and i knew it i just i was like well you know this is what i'm doing it it makes money it's you know a comfortable life but it was like something was missing and I, I never really could put my finger on it. And I didn't go to graduate school at the time because I was like, I don't have a reason to continue studying until until I figure that out. And my parents are, are both e- educators. And so they have like PhDs and you know academics and academia. And I just wasn't interested in that. I, I, I didn't see a reason to go do that. And so when I discovered this kind of healing, for myself because I had gotten sick when I was working so hard in the industry. I think I stressed myself out and, you know, I got I got ill. And then, you know, lo and behold, Chinese medicine helped me and I discovered five elements and I discovered all these other things. And before I knew it, you know, I was just curious. I wasn't really thinking it was going to be a career in the beginning. I took like a year and a half long course initially and I was just curious and everyone was there to like study to become a healer. And I was like, I'm just here because I'm interested <laughs> because it helped me. And so once I kind of got into it, I, I got the bug and I couldn't I couldn't stop. And so I just kept learning and learning until I started practicing. But sort of on the side in the beginning, I, I didn't really think, you know, I was going to give up my day job, so to speak. But then I, I just got, it, it's like I... I couldn't stop. It became really my life purpose. And then, you know, discovering alchemy on top of that just meant, it's like in the beginning, I was sort of learning a lot of different things about Chinese medicine and about healing, but I, it was more like, how do we, so I, I really differentiate two, two kinds of healing in, in modern day alternative medicine, especially, you know, a lot of people are sick, you know, maybe they their stomach hurts and they all they really want is their stomach to stop hurting. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. So a, a good healer maybe could help them and they, they feel better. But then I started learning more and more about alchemy and like, there's more that we can do. What, what are the circumstances that created that stomach ache? You know, why is that person sick? And how could we actually go back to the source of the problem and not just heal the problem itself but go back and heal what is causing the problem, and so that got me interested in alchemy and and things like the thirteen ghost points and all of these things that we're going to talk about today. These elements to me started to get more and more interesting, and then I started studying uh, with Master Jeffrey Un, who was really the. I had another teacher who was teaching it as well, but he was really the, um, you know knew the most about this topic. And because as as an 88th generation Taoist priest, they handed this information down orally from generation to generation to generation. And so he really, you know, was this source of not just written information, but oral information that, you know, just sitting in class after class. I was able to get a lot of learning from that.
0: Yeah. And so... That makes sense to me. And on that point, I know when people, you know, when I talk to people who don't know much about or don't know anything about Chinese medicine, um, you hear a range of reactions, right? And so I know that you've dealt with this your whole career, I'm sure. Some <laughs> people just outright just just won't do it, right? They're just right. like, that's crazy. That sounds ridiculous. And, and uh, I yes. don't believe in it. Therefore, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and I know that always troubles me cause I, I've, I've had so many great practitioners, uh, work on me and, and I've had so much, um, I've had transformations, you know, because of it. Um, and I'm, a, I'm a, a born skeptic too. I'm definitely somebody who, um, I need to see the proof in the pudding. It's not that I'm not open-minded. I'm totally open-minded, but also I feel like, you know, you can't just make outlandish claims and not have some sort of substance to it. That's um, it. but the, the, the problem I have is that people will very often just, presume that you can't provide that substance, that you can't prove that this works. And also one thing I hear uh, from Westerners mostly is that um, it's not rooted in science, right? It's not, mm-hmm. this isn't, um, you know, no one sat around and, and Hippocrates didn't create this, you know, this this whole system and people weren't able to study it in the way. And I'm like, do you guys, 88 generations, do you know how long this has been around for? I mean, yes, it's been passed on uh, verbally, orally, but it's been around for thousands of years. I mean, this is one, these are, these are the first, some of the first um, medical uh, transcriptions we've ever had. And so the idea that it's brand new or the idea that it came out of nowhere or that it's unproven, um, I always refer back to that point you just made, which is it's, it's, it's been around forever. It's been around for for thousands of years.
1: Yeah, Um, There's actually uh, someone on, on Facebook recently asked a question, what is, what is moxibustion from a scientific point of view? Moxibustion is what a lot of acupuncturists do in Chinese medicine. It's burning this little herb on points. And it's a, it's a wonderful treatment, but it's kind of mysterious how it works. And, uh, and amazingly, they have done amazing studies on it, and they've proven it from a scientific point of view. Mm. But when you read the studies, it's still missing something. Because if we just go with science, we're not really explaining something else. And that's the ineffable, the spirit level, the things that, like this particular treatment, Moxa, works on the spirit level. So I wrote about how Moxa influences the heart and the spirit in the heart and in the blood. And, you know, we can we can talk about science all we want, and maybe we need that to feel safe to, to go forward with it but there's more to it. There's a there's a certain, I, I, dare I say magic. I used to never use that word because I thought it would put people off just for the reason you were saying. And then mm-hmm. slowly that that term started to appeal to me more because there is a sort of spirit level magic to a lot of this healing that can't be explained.
0: And I would think that people who don't believe in magic, people that only are looking at science, they're really not going to be open enough to be able to allow the treatments to work anyway. So it's likely they're not going to be coming through your door and getting a ghost points treatment if they firmly right. believe that, right. you know, that there is no spiritual component to it, no magical component to it.
1: Um, right. Except which, if if they're skeptical, but open at the same time, and then it's okay. Right. If they're skeptical and shut down to it, like definitely, then it's not going to work. But I get, I treat many people who are very skeptical and, but they, they're just like, hey, I'll try it. What the heck? You know, mm-hmm. see what happens. If you have that see what happens attitude, which I did in the beginning. Gary, I was like you. I, I was as straight-laced as it could be. Like, I did not believe in any of this. I grew up with parents who were very scientifically oriented. I, you know, I, and I got so sick and, and Western medicine couldn't heal me. It didn't work. And so, that's how I ended up doing this. And it worked, And there was no rational explanation to my mind why. And that's what got me on this path.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. The results, right? It's all about the results. I was talking to somebody the other day, another acupuncturist, actually. And we were talking about how people, uh, especially in the classical acupuncture circles, will have all these scholastic arguments and um, go back and forth on whose technique is appropriate and proper and et cetera. Um, But I said it, you know, not knowing much about that space, not, you know, I've obviously been around it a little bit, but not really being in it. I've just said, well, isn't it, doesn't it come down to the results? Like if you, if you have a practitioner who can say, well, look at my patients, they've, they're better, right? So whether or not you think the approach I took is the proper technique or, or it it should be done in this particular way, people are feeling better as a result of it. So why are we arguing about the technique and the, and the perceptions about what's right and what's not? Yeah, um, and they agreed. So that was that was kind of a cool conversation we had. That's awesome. I want to go back to a point in your bio that really struck me, and so a lot of the um, many of the guests I'll be having on the Soul Pod talk about trauma and talk about mm-hmm. um, the the effect that trauma had on on uh, a lot of the patients that they see and how they work with it, the different different modalities in which they work with trauma. Um, I first encountered. You know, I've, I've always understood that I had trauma that I had to work through through because of a variety of different behaviors I was, that were always undercutting me. They were always kind of, they weren't serving me and I didn't understand why I was engaged in mm-hmm. those behaviors and I had to really unpack over years of different work and I've done it through talk therapy. I've done it through uh, somatic mm-hmm. uh, experiencing. I've done it through somatic um, meditation, Great. rolfing. I mean, you name it, acupuncture, acupressure. I've, I've tried a lot of things. Um, yes because I, I firmly also believe like uh, Bessel van der Kolk has said that, 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 you know, that trauma is trapped in the body and that we need to work through it in a uh, physical form in order for us to release it. And I know that that's the premise of a lot of different Chinese medicine uh, treatments as well, uh, or the idea at least behind it. So um, you talked about an experience you had, I think it was your first day of school where you were bullied. And uh, that just hit me. First of all, it hit me in the heart because whenever I see kids bully another kid, it just crushes me. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly probably because I was bullied and <clears throat> I can I, I can appreciate what that will do. Yeah. Not just in that moment, but 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years down the road, <laughs> right? Yes. Um, and you, you're seeing the formation of it. So it's like, you know what the results are and it's just so yeah. disheartening when you watch it, but that's the world, yeah. right? We live in a world where... Um, not everybody is equipped the same way. Not everybody has the same uh, experience and conditions. And so you're going to have those dynamics. Um, But when you talked, so you talked about having a recent uh, trigger where you have like kind of something brought you back to that day where you had that, you encountered the bully and you've kind of been able to, two things, you've been able to really put it in perspective and see how it's formed your approach to the world. Um, And also you've been able to understand how to work with it in the given moment and how to, how to kind of put it in its place and understand that it's a historical mm-hmm. event um, yeah. and, and work through it through different techniques. And I believe meditative techniques are, are kind of what you described in the right. book. And there could be other stuff that you've used as well.
1: Yes.
0: But h- how much of like an experience like that do you think kind of affected you to want to figure out um, h- how to look for a modality that allowed you to treat things beyond the surface?
1: I think that it's interesting because I work with so many people who have clear, clear trauma. They they have, you know, uh, someone abusing them. They have an accident, you know, whatever it is. It's so nobody would question that they have had trauma. And I think for me, this, this journey I've had has been a little bit surprising because I didn't think I had had trauma. I didn't think that the bullying was... Uh, I just knew that I was struggling, but I didn't know it was trauma because isn't everyone bullied? Like, I, I mean, it—it's like you know, I didn't know that there was a a reason to really look at that. And so, what happened was it—it's so heavily because it went on for many years. It's so heavily influenced my adult life, but in a way, I was completely unaware of. And that's not always the case with people. Many people can walk in and tell me exactly what the trauma is. But I think it influenced me because I didn't understand myself. I was like obsessed with like, how do I understand trauma? Not realizing that I was the subject of the, of the discovery process. Like I needed to know it for myself. So as I learned more and more what trauma was, and I started to see, in the beginning, I only work with people with really clear Big traumas. And then <laughs> I, I often tell this story. I, I worked on this young child. I was about 13, this young boy. And he was, he was really in trouble. His, his teachers were worried about him. His mother was just really scared. He was very dark. He was just trouble with a capital T at that time. And I did the ghost points treatment, um, which we're going to talk about later, I know. The ghost points treatment with this, this child and his mother came back, you know, a week later and said, Oh my gosh, I have my son back. This is my son. That other person was not my son. This is who he was. And she said, I want that treatment. And I was like, Yeah, but you're not, you're not in trouble. She's like, everyone needs this treatment, Lita. You know, it's like, I've got trauma. It just doesn't appear like his. And I was like, good point. So that was a turning point in my career where I wasn't just saying you know you had to have extreme trauma to, in order to receive this trauma work and and that was huge because what it turned out is like even me that I didn't think had all this trauma I mean I, I knew I'd suffered as a child but I I didn't look at it that way that all of us do need to clear that out I do meet people occasionally who just have had these idyllic lives you know, Bless them. They're just lovely people. They really don't need trauma work. But I'm discovering that that's a small group of people. Actually, a really small. I mean, what what you would think? You'd think the trauma group would be very small. It's not. If if we were going to give numbers, it's probably twenty percent or less of the people that you know. Uh, we think. I mean that actually don't need the treatment, I would say only about twenty percent of or less maybe ten percent so so when we when we started to redefine how to approach healing based on this idea that many of us i call them have skelet i call it having skeletons in your closet, we just have a lot of baggage,
0: yeah, I can um. That that number sounds pretty accurate to me, based on people that I've encountered. I think that I was having a discussion the other day with an educator, somebody who creates charter schools, um, and particularly in areas that have uh, that are lower, sort of socioeconomic areas that have a lot of hurdles to overcome. And um, I had I was talking to him about designing the curriculum and how I said that I um, when I look back on my public school uh, experience. I actually, I actually don't really have a lot of fondness for it. And, and the reason is because I was explaining to him, I think as a culture, as a society, we're so focused on academics. We're so focused on, um, you know, okay, so let's, let's get these kids in the proper location so that they can move on to the honors class in period two. And then in period three, we get them to the honors other class and et cetera. And they don't and, and what's not thought about is all these sort of micro traumatic experiences that can happen when you put a group of kids or a group of people in a, in a same room who might not really the dynamic isn't good right and there might be just the, and, and there isn't a lot of supervision um, right. because the, the the attention is put more on academically growing the kids as opposed to how are they react how are they interacting with each other how you know what's going is there bullying happening can we pay attention to this stuff are they communicating? From a place of, of wholeness and, and, and is there is there a lot of community happening and yeah. I think you know just the just the public just the school experience, not public school, can be um, filled from grade, you know kindergarten all the way through twelfth grade with tons of these little tiny micro traumas um, and even if you have a great home life and even if you performed well academically and you're going to be all set up uh, from a career perspective you'll likely mm-hmm. you've encountered some some rough social interactions that have caused you to question who you are that have made you feel like you can't be who you are because um, you want to be accepted so I, you know I can't imagine I, th- I think that that 90% numbers is is probably spot on and I do think that people tend to frame their trauma th- um, for whatever reason um, through this lens of well I know what like PTSD trauma is I didn't go to war yeah. and like kill people I didn't exactly. I wasn't you know sexually molested at home or whatever that's trauma um, but what I experienced. No, you know, we can, kind of, we can kind of put it in the bucket of just living life and what you typically experience. And that's just not true, right? And we've, we've come to know that that's not true. And we've come to know that that can really have severe, profound effects on ha- how you operate and behave in the world and how you cope in the world. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, so, okay. So, I want to get into the book, though. I want to get okay. into sort of what, um, what, what made you write this book, right? You know, when you did a few months ago um and then if you can talk a little bit about why you why you framed it the way you did why you started with the bio and then you moved into um you talked about yourself and jay your partner you talked to jay talked about yeah. herself and yeah. then you went into um sort of what the elements were and you described it why did you take that approach to writing this book
1: well i have been doing this work for a very long time now and uh I work with people's trauma, but I'm always trying to get them to the next step, which is, okay, let's clear the baggage of this lifetime, let's get the blank slate, but then what? Then what? It's the real transformation isn't just getting rid of the trauma issues. The real transformation is the growth of the person and becoming their full potential. And so that's something that we call the nine stages of alchemy, which I've been working with people in my clinic. There's actual treatments for each stage of alchemy. And you could say the nine stages of alchemy are like a roadmap of how to transform yourself, of how to evolve over time. And, you know, again, radically evolve, not just evolutionary, like, you know, eons, Um, but this is more radical transformation. And it's a process that you can walk with an acupuncturist or an acupressurist, or you can walk through meditation, but it's it's a bunch of concepts. I always say some really, really awesome, you know, ancient people thought about it a lot and they put together this roadmap and it's like, you don't have to do it in that order, but they believed if you did it in this order, you would be uh, much better off. In other words, if you, one of the steps is that there is no good or bad. That's a really high level concept. Like for us to step out of the yin and yang of the, of life and stop saying, good, bad, good, bad, good, bad, which is like every single moment of every day, our minds are going, good, bad, good, bad. And that's a really high level step. That's stage five. And so you kind of have to do these other steps first, like the trauma stuff has to be done first. So I've been working with people, working with people, and it's like I'm trying to explain it to them in the treatment room. And over time, I realized, well, we need to write a book because It's just so much material. It's so hard to convey. And I really wanted it to not just be a book for practitioners. Like I've been really motivated since day one. I I think the first thing I said is everyone needs to know this stuff. And I really, you know, wholeheartedly believe, like I could really just be teaching practitioners, which is lovely. I love doing that. But I just, I feel with my soul that people need to learn about this. And so, you know, I keep saying, if, if you're asking the question, is there more to life than this, meaning like going to work, coming home, watching some TV, eating dinner, go to bed, you know, repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, you know, it's, it's, is there more to life than this? So, so I, I, Jay and I decided to write this book because we you know Jay's working with people more on a coaching level, a life strategy level, so together we put put our heads together and we said, "All right, what what does a a regular everyday person, I like how you call them, everyday person need to know about alchemy?" And that's what sort of influenced the book. And and the idea of putting our stories in was Jay's idea, and Jay just really believed that we needed to You know, it's personal stuff. It's it's not something that we often share. But we realized that for someone else to connect with this material, they needed to know the author's experience with it, and that's how we got got that going. And also, one of the things that is very popular is um, uh, is. The five elements. People may have heard of people on your podcast may have heard of the five elements. I'm not sure. The nine palaces and isn't, isn't the nine palaces aren't as popular, but a lot of people have heard of the five elements. So the way we're working with the five elements is very high level. It is not the simplistic way. If you if you Google right now five elements, you're going to get such a simplistic idea of what they are. And we're working on such a deep level of how to understand yourself, how to understand your children, how to understand your partner, how to understand your coworkers and your boss. Like, these are the things that we need to know. And then when we take it into alchemy, it's like from the place of really understanding yourself, that's where you begin the transformation. If you don't understand yourself, you won't get there. That's the first step.
0: Right. And so when we talk about the five elements, one of the things um, maybe you can kind of help clarify when I'm reading, when I read the five elements in the book and the descriptions there were fairly comprehensive and, and yeah. a lot, there was a lot more material to them than what, like you said, than what you'd see in a typical one pager somewhere. Yes. Um, people like to say like, oh, you're a wood element, you're this, you're that. And I would always like take offense to it kind of, cause it's like, it's fine to, it's fine to um, have a framework to refer to somebody else, but I felt like, is it a little more nuanced than that? Is it a little more complex than that? And um, so my question to you is, can you briefly talk about the five elements? And then also, sure. are these things that are static for a person? Like in other words, is someone just a one element or mm-hmm. are they always dynamic and moving? Um, mm-hmm. And can you I be could. multiple elements? And so how does one think of themselves when they refer to the five elements?
1: That's a great question. So, first of all, we have all five elements. We have access to all five elements within us. When we're born, we we basically get get you know into life as a set of elements in a particular order. So, if you're wood, Gary, which I agree with, um, then <laughs> then and not to stereotype, I I think that's the that's the feeling you had. Like, I don't want to be stereotyped. I want to, I don't want to be put into a box. Which guess what? doesn't have to be because you have all five elements. So all that means is that your curriculum for this lifetime is best served by the energy of wood. So the energy of wood is um, forceful in the world. It, It moves people and things into new ways of being. It's the force of change in the world. So that's the wood element. And so that's why you're doing the podcast and all the other amazing things you've done in your life. You know, I even, even the trailer for this podcast, I was like, yes, it's perfect because mm-hmm. you're showing people, hey, we can change. We can do this. We can do that. And wood people are often the motivators, the cheerleaders, the coaches, you know, they're the people that sort of look at all of us and say, hey, but, you know, let's, let's go down this direction. This is a much better way than over here having war and fighting and uh, let's try this. And so that would be a typical wood person. So, but you're not just wood. Right, you're more than that. So you have all five elements. So what's your second element? And your second element is very um, influential in that you can't just be this one thing. If I say you're wood, that is sort of stereotypical. Like we're just saying, oh, you're just all that, Gary. And it's like, no, I have this other, more nuanced part of me. And that part might be for you a little bit more gentler, a little bit more quiet, or you know, whatever. I'm just I'm making it up because we haven't actually. You know, figured out your whole stack up yet? We call it the stack up,
0: okay. which is yeah.
1: which is your five elements in a particular order. And so, you know, based on let's say your second element was fire, which is a probable one, then then that wood now becomes exceptional at speaking to the world. Except, I call it the spin doctors. They can just turn anything, and just the right words come out. For example, they are much more social. They can. They can put on a happy face and they can charm people. So that would be wood fire. Whereas if it's a different combination, it's going to be a very different type of wood. And so each element is like that. So if we're going to go through all five elements, you know, a fire first person is going to be very social. They may have a shy part especially when they don't know the people they're with but if they know the people they're with they're super social they're smiley their eyes twinkle and they're the people who are really just trying to get to heart connection love you know they're looking for that in the world they're good leaders as well but not so much hey follow follow this direction and this sort of champion they're not that at all they're more like Hey, you know, if, if you love me, then, you know, you'll also want to be a part of what we're doing. And it's really all about love and it's good stuff. So that would be fire. And so, again, the second element might really change the way the fire looks. It could be a quieter fire. Or it could be a more, you know, if, if you put fire and wood together, you're going to get a very out in the world person, a very dynamic person. And so then Earth Earth is the one element that is ex- is sort of in the middle of everyone. It's, it's neither really out in the world and it's neither too receded in the world. It's just in the middle. So there's parts of them that are very social and very much uh, about community and sort of, you know, they're like a big hug in the world. They want to bring people together. And they really love to think and analyze and especially about people, they want to think about people. They're the psychologists of the world and, you know, the therapists and people like that. Healers as well. And uh, But again, the second element might change how that looks, you know, in terms of how they roll that out into the world. And metal and water, so we're getting more into the quieter elements. Metal is, um, on, on the outside, looks very quiet and soft. But inside, they're qu- quite tough. And so, they're um, they're not going to be as expressive necessarily unless you get them one-on-one and then they can talk your ear off. So, it's not that they don't want to be social. It's just that they do really have a, a part of them that just doesn't want insincerity. And so, they'd rather be quiet than have like, you know, nice talk, like, you know, just social like, oh, how's the weather or something like that. They're going to... They'll do it if they have to, but they'd rather not. And so they're more quiet. So I say they're kind of watching the world. They're they're sitting back and watching. And yet they can hold positions of very high level authority. They are the people who we would say are the judges on the bench, you know, whereas the wood people would be the attorneys and the litigators. You know, the, the, the metal is like dispassionate and just meeting out the sentences and not really... You know, having emotion about that. And then so that would be metal. And again, you put wood or fire or something that's very expressive behind it, you get a much more outward metal person. So again, very nuanced. And then the last one is water, and water is the the most, we call it yin. In some ways, it can be very quiet. And yet what happens when you start to be so still for too long is you burst out into like something very expressive or silly or crazy and uh, spastic. And so while they can be a couch potato for long periods of time, they can also be very intense. And so that's uh, kind of a wild card of all the elements because you never really know what they're going to do. And so, so they just love intensity and quiet. Both. So that's it.
0: (laughs) Thank you. So when you get into the, um, once you have this information about yourself, what then in in terms of the alchemical process, is it then that you start to look at the nine palaces and how these relate? Or what does this do for you in terms of your alchemical um, process, I guess, right? Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. So in alchemy, if we understand our basic nature we, What I say is the second you start to go into the level of alchemy, you leave the five elements of you behind in some ways. First, you have to totally accept who you are and understand that's why I do what I do. Why am I always the person who's like, you know even intimidating or so assertive that people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And that would be the wood, you know, like, why am I always that way? I'm frustrated. I, I'd wish I could tone myself down. And so if you're a wood person and you start toning yourself down and keep quiet and you do all this stuff, you're not being you. And so you can do that for years and years and you can't do alchemy from that place. You really have to embrace and love who you are. And then you can leave it behind if you want. It's like from the place of total acceptance, now you can like really live your full potential, which is not limited by who you are. We want you to be unlimited. And so the nine palaces can help because each of the nine palaces is associated with an element. So if we go back through the list, wood is concerned mostly with health and wealth in in abundance. You mentioned abundance. So, we just call it abundance. So, they want to feel that abundance in the world. They want to feel the healthiness of their bodies, and their bodies are these amazing vehicles to achieve whatever challenge is ahead of them. And so, that would be wood, and and that's how the nine palaces just help you, again, inform who you are. And then the next one would be fire, which is about love and relationships, and it's about prosperity, giving. Fires want to give, they want to help the world, you know, very similar to wood, wanting to sort of show people how to achieve something. And then um, earth is about home. They only get one palace, and which is the most important palace because it's your spiritual home, not just your family. But it's all-encompassing. It's family, it's community, it's home. So earth is always working towards that. And then metal is about creativity and uh, which we would say is also about children, but also travel and the global perspective and really looking at the broad picture. And then the last one would be water, which is about your career and your knowledge in the world, but also the wisdom you gain from those two things. You know, over time, experience is more important. It's it's a very high-level palace, it's your wisdom. And so when we put all those nine palaces together, it just helps inform you whether you're on the right track, whether you're working out your curriculum for this lifetime, which means the thing you came to do, to do in this lifetime. And then once we we agree that, you know, to, in ourselves, that this is who I am, this is why I'm here, this is what I'm doing, you can fulfill your curriculum. And from that place, now you can evolve into something greater. Um, some people say, you know, a bodhisattva. A bodhisattva is just a person who's could could go somewhere else, could be somewhere else, but chooses to be here to help all beings. So that would be an example of sort of an alchemist approach would be similar. It'd be like, well, why would I want to live to, and be immortal? Why would I want to live 500 years? Um, it's a it's a big question. Like, let's say you could be healthy, you know, for 500 years. Would you want to stay? Would you want to do that? And so alchemy is really looking at these concepts and you know what is that potential? What am I here to do? Why am I? And what would a fulfillment of that curriculum look like?
0: So when you when we're talking about the the types of the palaces and the things that people probably would like to work on, when they identify what kind of elements they are, kind of who they are in the world, who do you have a profile of uh, a typical? I mean, obviously, there's no typical patient, right? But do you have a profile of the kinds of things that people come to you to see? Like, for example, are you generally going to be the first healer that someone had seen for a given situation? Or does that always vary completely? What Are there any patterns that you've noticed that people come to you and say, well, I want to see Lita Herman because um, I believe in alchemy and I think it's what's needed to happen in my life. Is I need a radical transformation. I've tried everything else and it didn't work. Is that the common patient profile for you?
1: I think I have two or three main common Patient profiles. One is someone who's so, so, so down and out that there's really no hope for them. And, you know, they might be suicidal even. It's very common. And I get a lot of referrals from therapists who where talk therapy is not working. And so there's something deeper in the body that needs to shift, some vibrational pattern that has really got that person stuck. So that would be one. And when I'm doing alchemy with them, they're not really thinking about, oh, I want to live my full potential. They just want to live. And so they show up in my room because they don't want to die. And and that's, or, you know, live live a life where they might as well be dead. You know, either way, they might not be suicidal, but that's how they feel. So that's one. Another one is they have no idea what alchemy is. They just have an, a pain in their elbow and they come and then as we begin to talk about that pain in their elbow, one of my favorite stories is a guy who had golfer's elbow. And we worked for a year where he kept saying, there's nothing emotional. It's not emotional. It's not emotional. And then one day I said to him, let's try this ghost point. Let's try this emotional point that's right on the elbow. Let's just try it. And we did. And it And the pain suddenly went away. And he said, oh, yeah, well, I am I am in this big lawsuit right now. I said, and you don't think that's emotional? <laughs> so, <laughs> so it, it, you know, it was, it was emotional. So, so that, so that's sometimes the way it happens. They come just completely because something's bothering them, and then over time, alchemy becomes more important to them. Um, and then the third one is someone who, you know, maybe saw a podcast or read the book, or and they're like, yes, alchemy. So they're coming, and they, they know what they're in for. And they, they can answer that question that I always ask, is there more to life than this? And they're like, yes, I want there to be more to life than this, more to life. And so they're the ones that obviously are, you know, just just get the ball rolling right away.
0: So I want to talk about the, the ghost points treatment that we referred to earlier. Um, for reference for everybody listening and watching this now, I am scheduled to get a ghost points treatment with Lita. In December and the plan is to uh, discuss it a bit right now and then once I have the treatment come back uh, a few weeks later and we'll do another podcast uh, episode yeah. and talk about um, the experience that I had and the impact that the treatment has had on me. Um, okay. And so I want to first get into sort of the, um, the granular details which is Now, is this is this a treatment that you have to do in person? So let's first plug your clinic real quick, and (laughs) if you want to talk about where your clinic is and and the name of the clinic, and then also what you offer, and then let's talk about do you have to? What I have to? Does everybody have to show up in person for a ghost points treatment, or could you do a virtual treatment?
1: So the Alchemy Healing Center is in Northampton, Massachusetts. Um, I, we, we opened that particular clinic in 2018 with the with the name Alchemy because the alchemy work had just blossomed into such an amazing thing. Uh, I'd always just practiced as Lita Herman, and now it's like, oh, it's more than that. And also students are coming to work with us. So we really wanted to promote the word alchemy out in the world and stop trying to almost hide it, like the word magic. It's like, oh, we don't like that word. No, we love that word. So we're really out in the world saying, "Hey, this is what we're doing. We're doing alchemy," and um, and so I think just uh, in terms of your question about doing the work, it's preferable to do it in person. I won't I won't say no, but there is a magic that I've discovered since COVID uh, that this this Zoom, you know, or whatever you know. Um, virtual reality that we're experiencing right now this is an interesting format for this work I have done some amazing work in the virtual space and the difference is it's less about the body because when I do the ghost points the reason I like to do it in person it's a vibrational treatment we play music which we might talk a little bit about today we we are we're vibrating the points on the body we're It's a very, you know, physical treatment in a lot of ways. And when you do it virtually, it's much more just that emotional space. And it still has quite an amazing effect. So I'm not opposed to doing that. I work with people all over the world. Either they fly in or if we can't have them fly in, then we can do that virtual way of doing it.
0: So so the in-person is a vibrational treatment. <clears throat> is there a, what's the goal of the treatment? What what, what are we, uh, what do we want to accomplish? Why is it a vibrational right. treatment? What is it trying to accomplish?
1: So we're trying to break up stuck patterns. So let's say you were bullied, right? And so your little boy self had to survive. Okay. So it could be, way worse than that like we talked about There's, I, I say there's no hierarchy to trauma even though this one doesn't look so bad it can be way worse for the person because it, it matches who they are like that wood element it's really bad for the wood but it maybe a water person wouldn't have so much trouble with it and sometimes the worst worst trauma you can imagine the person's kind of okay you know it's like oh well you know they didn't they didn't take it it didn't it didn't hit them right at the worst spot something else bothers them Way more. <laughs> so trauma. There's no hierarchy. But the point of this is, as you experience these traumatic events in your life, you develop patterns. They're survival mechanisms. So how did you survive the bullying, for example? You know what? What did you have to do in your mind to figure it out? What did you have to do in your body to to you know withstand it? You know maybe you were beat up and you, you had to figure that out. Like all these things that happened in your body. So then what is PTSD? PTSD is just the body not realizing that this current situation, which has sort of evoked some of those memories, isn't dangerous. And even when it's not dangerous, your body is in that pattern, that survival pattern. And this happens on a daily basis for people. And as you said, it could be really subtle. We might not be calling it PTSD, but it is. It's a form of PTSD. So the ghost points go in and they, they vibrate and break up the cellular patterns in the body. And at the same time, we're working on the emotional patterns. So not only is the body having responses like stress and sweating or whatever it is, you know, a stress response, the a mind is having a response. It's believing something that's not true. It's stuck in an obsessive thought pattern. And so it, it's the treatment for obsessive thinking you know, whether it could be OCD and given a label, you know, which we love to do in Western medicine. But, you know, so many of us are obsessive thinkers. Probably every single one of us is an obsessive thinker. And the question is, is that obsession positive or negative? You know, I love Chinese medicine. That's an obsession. That's, a to me, an awesome obsession. You know, but, but to be avoiding... Um, You know the the bullying that's not really there. That would be a negative, you know, obsessive um, pattern. And so the ghost points break those up, and the the transformation is huge. It's not subtle. It's for many people, it's it's just life changing. And you could see it when they walk out; they literally look different. It may take up to a month for them to articulate what those changes are, to truly feel them. And I say it takes three to six months to really integrate those changes. But when we do this treatment, which takes all day, we spend four to six hours with each person when we do these treatments because you can't expect something that has been there sometimes for your lifetime to shift in an hour, um, so that's a huge difference from, you know, regular acupuncture or, you know, whatever your normal, you know, healing, uh, even going to the doctor, they spend five minutes with you these days. So, um, no, this is about giving yourself time and space to really allow something to shift, big shifts.
0: So you're doing this using acupressure treatments. I just want to be clear here. because So people yes. might think we're talking about acupuncture with needles. But yes. uh, in your practice, you're doing this with acupressure on these It can points. be
1: done with needles or without. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, most of my students who are acupuncturists opt to do it the way I do it because it is, to me, more effective as an acupressure treatment. Uh, there's lots of reasons for that, but it certainly can be done as an acupuncture treatment.
0: Just you bringing up a point too, I want to make sure as we come to the end of the hour that we um, talk about the fact that you said you have students and I know when we first discussed before we started recording, I wanted to talk a bit about beyond the fact that you have this amazing clinic up in Northampton, you also have these uh, academic resources that people, not just acupuncture, not just Chinese medicine students um, would understand them and could access them, but you've intended these courses that you've designed for the greater public so that everybody out there could begin to understand the, the basics and hopefully and maybe progress through uh, what alchemy actually is and what it looks like and what it means to progress through that process. Can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about what inspired yes. you to create these courses and yes. um, how people can access them?
1: Yes, so uh, Jay and I are just determined to bring this out, not just to practitioners, but to everyday people. And, you know, the Alchemy Learning Center, so we have the Alchemy Healing Center, which is the clinic, but the Alchemy Learning Center is online. And we have many, many more classes every day coming, but we have many classes now. Some are for practitioners, which anyone can take. But, it, you know, it's geared toward practitioners, but some are really just geared towards anyone who wants to better themselves in any way. So it could be learning about the five elements, which is my favorite class, because we really put our heart and soul into this class. It's not a lecture-style class. It's a it's a, a set of... Um, videos that of Jay and I talking about all these subtle differences and nuances that we talked about, about the five elements. So that would be an example. We did one on the nine palaces. We did one on what I call releasing chaotic energy, which is how you, how can you heal yourself for some of these, these things that are bothering us in the world right now, like really intense stress creates chaotic energy. So we have some um, qigong and some um, alchemical meditation. So it's a great place to listen to those things and to learn more and we actually just launched an app in the past couple of weeks and the app you can listen to the classes you can listen to the um, meditations. so that it's all there in the in the uh, app or on the website and and I just want to say we're just about to release an audible version of the through the mystery gate book which we're very excited about so that's coming out soon
0: I'm excited about it too. I was looking for it, as I mentioned, and <laughs> had it on there because you know my time is pressed these days, unfortunately. So I was hoping to, and I also just learn better actually listening to people. Me but too. This was such a good read. I really, really was. I haven't. I honestly, it's sad, but I haven't sat and read a book all the way through in <laughs> a long time. Um, <laughs> I think because your stories, you and Jay, were so relatable at the beginning, it yeah. hooked me, <clears throat> and I said, I, I need to understand if these are the same questions that you have about why you are the way you are and how to change yourself. If you have answers for this later in the book, I've got to get okay. to those answers. So I, I read the Great. book in, through this weekend, basically. Um, and I think everybody, it's really accessible. So I think people will have that ability. But of course, hearing your lovely voice on the audible version and having that, <laughs> having that, uh, that different form of input, I think will help a lot of auditory learners as well. And so you can expect that to be available when, do you think?
1: Uh, hopefully in the next few weeks, cause it's almost, it's done. It's just being mastered, you know, produced Great. at the moment.
0: So. And then one last question for you. So before we leave, so what should I expect, you know, what should I walk into the ghost points treatment, uh, in a few weeks, what should, what should I, I mean, I'm going to walk in with an open mind. I now yeah. have a framework and yeah. the elements and I have a framework in the palaces, but what sort of a, uh, mindset do you kind of encourage people to have when they show up for a, a major, uh, treatment like this?
1: Well, I love your mindset. You know, it's just to be open and, and actually not know what it's going to be. I, I try to have no expectations. And it's great when the person has no expectations. Because if you think, oh, you know, it's going to be about when I was bullied, when I was whatever. And, and you get in it, and it's not about that. It's about something completely different that's way bigger that you just didn't even know about. And the reason that happens is that we're going through these points and they're in a specific order. And they go from the external of you and how you interface with the world to the deepest, deepest, deepest part about you, which is your identity. And they just, you know, step by step, we, we take our time with each point and we allow whatever to surface from your unconscious or your subconscious. And we just allow these things to begin to shift So each point is like a journey deeper and deeper inside. And then by the time you're, you know, completed, you know, you're really looking at. So where did the trauma insert itself into you? Was it about the door to your palaces? Oh, I'm scared to even open my door and talk to people. Like that could be a trauma response. Or could it be, you know, uh, guilt and shame that's one of the later points it's it's like so deep inside it's like it's like you know it's it it, it's fundamental it's the foundation of you and it's 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 hooked in there or is it like I my entire identity is not who I am truly and so that would be the deepest one it's like well how do we get you back to you? So each point as I'm working on them, I am looking for the true you. I often ask people what their true name is. And many people are like, well, I've had this name and that name and this name. Or my parents gave me a name that I don't really identify with. Or you know, this. And so what I'm trying to do when I ask that is connect with your true chi. Who are you truly? There's all this stuff that's in the way. And as I clear it away, the ghosts, so to speak, you know, all that means is that something haunts you from the past. If I, as I clear it away, then I'm able to connect with Gary, and you know, really feel Gary's chi. And that's what we're bringing out and reestablishing, so that you can really be your true self in the world, your authentic self.
0: Exactly the kind of treatment that I'm looking to have in my life. I mean, I'm I am on a mission to always. Cultivate and and to kind of uh, excavate really this true essence of mine and super looking forward to doing it in through this treatment. Lita, thank you so much for uh, appearing on the Soul Pod, and we are excited to uh, provide all these links to your book, to the healing center, to the learning center, so that everybody who's hearing this and listening to this can access um, really the wide array of comprehensive material out there that will allow people to understand themselves in the ways that we've been describing. So it's, it's, it's um, I love that you're doing this.
1: Yeah. There's one more thing I just want to say about the book and, and we're trying to support that in the learning center is just, just to have resources for you. It's like some people aren't going to sit down and read the book all the way through, but they have each chapter. So they could just be working on one chapter at a time, like one stage. And I feel like that's kind of how we have to approach this is, I say, don't lose the thread. If you're going to pick up the thread of alchemy, we just want you to keep the thread going. know, what's the next step for you? And so I could, I think that could be true for any tradition you're studying or or trying to self-cultivate in yourself. It's like, how do I not fall back into this, um, you know, uncultivated garden? How do I continue to cultivate it? I mean, a wild garden's a beautiful thing, but, there's also this idea that we could cultivate into something more and that's kind of where I love to share with people just how they can look at their own evolution, their own cultivation, which is my favorite word
0: <laughs> mine too and and yeah, I think that's key is you call it a thread. Um, you know I can point to different periods of my life where I know that I've been more in tune with my authentic self and it was always coinciding with, a, a practice I was doing. It was always coinciding with something I had been doing on a regular basis, that was allowing me to excavate the gook, right? Excavate the stuff that had covered up my essence, um, and I was able to operate in the world in a way that felt truly right for me. And when I'm not there, when I'm not doing those practices, I feel all the gook, and I feel all the the. I know that there's a lot of work I have to do with with excavating, and that is not linear for me it's it's been up and down over the course of my life and um i'm fortunate right now to be in this this period of time where i'm able to explore this uh really with a lot of attention and detail and so super looking forward to the ghost points treatment and i can't wait to see you in a few weeks and again thank you so much for for coming onto to the soul pod we really appreciate
1: thank it thank you thank you gary it's a pleasure it's really been great
0: take care